You open up your Bibles if you have them. You turn to click to Nehemiah chapter nine is where we're gonna is where we're gonna be today. In fact, this is our last this is our last sermon in this series, Building Without Blueprints. So you guys are supposed to go, oh, thank you. That makes me feel better. And so we've been on, the, we've been on this journey together for the last seven weeks, and we've been looking at this, this subject of, of building without blueprints. In other words, that there was a group of people in Jerusalem, and they tried to do life on their own. They tried to, they tried to handle life on their own. They developed a, a plan. The fact is they really didn't have a plan. It was their plan. It wasn't God's plan. And so they started trying to do life. And the and Scripture says that they took the Word, they took the Bible, put it behind their backs. And for 70 years, uh, this group of people, they weren't in church. They weren't following God and all of those other things. And, and so it, it just didn't end well for them. And so over this last seven weeks, Nehemiah has helped us to understand just the importance of building our life with, with blueprints and building our life with, with God's blueprints and, and not our own. And so as we've been in this journey together for the last seven weeks, we've understood together the, the importance of, of the local church, the importance of kingdom living, the importance of what it means to be a part of a local assembly, and the responsibilities that come with that. Uh, we, we, we've understood our, our why together and the vision of our church and, and, and some of those other things as well. We've understood in this, this, this series of how to handle distractions and how to handle conflict in life. And, and then, then a couple of weeks ago, when, when Nehemiah Maya finally rebuilt the wall and rebuilt the church, the first thing he did was, was, was honor the Word. And Ezra and the priest came in, and, and they opened up the Word, and they began reading the Word, and they, they, they learned that, that, that they had they'd been doing some things that they need to stop doing, and then they learned that they had stopped doing some things that they need to start doing. And then they learned that we need to have God's plan, and we need to build our life according to God's blueprint for our life. And then last week, we looked at the importance of just honoring God with our time, talent, and, and treasures, with the blessings that he gives us, and what it means to live a life that just, just honors him. And then they got to the place, because every project, when, when any project's completed, there needs to be a celebration, right? Um, and Nehemiah got to that place to where he says, we, we, we need to celebrate. But Nehemiah understood something, and so did Ezra the priest. They understood that people may not be able to celebrate if they're carrying some things. In other words, this group of people had been away from the Lord for over 70 years. And they understood that for them to celebrate, for them to worship, they're going to have to understand some things. In other words, they, they had a burden for this group of people to be set free to be set free to live a life that God intended them to live, a life of fulfillment, uh, to be set free to freely and, and worship him corporately and celebrate what God has done in their life. You see, really and truly what, what brought Nehemiah back to Jerusalem was, was really rocks. And a bunch of rocks, the wall was down, but it was really, it it was really more than rocks. It was really deeper than rocks. The wall was not only down, but the people's lives had been destroyed. And they were, they were carrying rocks. They were carrying regret. Not literally, but figuratively. See, if we're not, if we're not careful in life, we, we, we can carry the rocks of, of regret. Rocks can be heavy. fact is, rocks can do damage. 
And it was a few years ago, some, some, some people in our neighborhood drove through our neighborhood, and they took a bunch of rocks, and they, they threw it through windshields of, of cars, and, and they, they did a lot of damage. See, rocks can cause damage, and rocks can be heavy. Rocks of regret in your life and my re- life can really weigh us down. And so there's, there's a lot of people that it's, it's like they have this backpack in life, and, and they're, just, they're just carrying the rocks of, of regret. I heard the story of a seven-year-old little boy that was having dinner one night with his mom and dad, and he told his parents, he said, he said hey, tomorrow after school, there's going to be a very small PTA meeting. And so the mom looked at the son and says, well, if it's small, do you, do you think we should go? And he goes, yeah, it's going to be the principal, you, and me. <laughs> so at a very young age, he started out with uh, a rock of, of regret. Um, I've started this year, I've, I've worked it out in my schedule, uh, I've started this year of, of once a month going and praying at city council, I, I do the invocation. And so I'll do it once a month all the way through, I think it's June or, or July this year. And, I, and I'm so thankful that we live in a community that still opens up city council and prayer and pledge of allegiance, and, I, and, and we're one of the few commu- uh, communities in the nation that does that. And so I, I, think, I think pastors should support that. And so I always arrive early because I, I want to meet some new people and reacquaint, uh, see some old friends and all that other stuff. So I always get there early. Uh, here a while back, I got there early and met a bunch of folks and visited with some people and finally just sat, you know, in, in, the, in, the, in the auditorium. And, and this man came and he sat beside me and, and, uh, and he was angry and he was mad. And, and so for some reason, he thought I needed to know what his issues were. And so he turned to me and he got out his, his, his engineering scale and, and some drawings and, and he started going through his issues about, he says, I'm going to yell at city council about this and I'm mad about this and I'm mad about this. And, and he used words like they're idiots and they're stupid and all that other stuff. And so I don't know why he thought I needed to know his issues. And so all of a sudden he finally wound down and he looked at me and said, so what's your issue? What brings you here? I said, well, I'm glad you asked. I'm a pastor. <laughs> and uh, I have no issues. <laughs> I'm just kidding. And so, uh, so I said, you know what? <laughs> I'm just here to, to pray for these guys. I'm going to do the invocation. And now, all of a sudden, I realize this man has another issue. Uh, he has an issue with pastors. And so he looked at me, he got angry. And he said, well, this makes me angry because he's like a regular there. And he says, you know what? He says, I hate it when pastors show up here and they, like, do the invocation and, and they pray. And he started con- con- contradicting himself. At one moment, he said there wasn't a God. And the next moment, he said he didn't need a God. And I'm like, well, you better make up your mind. And, and so is there one or is it not one? And so he's, he's going through this stuff. And he says, it just makes me so angry. And he says, I I just need to let you know that when you get up to pray and they ask for us to stand, I'm going to stay seated and protest. And so I looked at him and said, well, you know what? It's a free country. And so it gives you the right to sit while I pray, and it gives me the right to pray. And I I said, I just want you to know, it it honestly doesn't even bother me, and I'm not even going to know it because my eyes are going to be closed. And... uh, (laughs) And I said, but can I, can I just tell you something? If you ever have a problem in your life, if you ever go through difficulty in your life, I just want you to know I'm Charlie Jones. I'm one of the pastors at Fellowship of the Rockies. And I, or our church, will do anything we can to help you. just want you to know that. He looked at me and says, well, I, 
I don't understand why people need God. I don't have any regrets. I have like no regrets in life, so why, why would I need God? And you know, I looked at him and I just said, liar, liar, pants on fire. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I got regrets from last week. And I know it's different from everybody. You may have regrets from last night. You may, you may have regrets from a DUI. You're just having trouble getting over that. You may have some re- regrets from, a, from your sexual history. You've had so many partners, you've even forgotten some of the names. You may, in your life, you may have regret from an, from an affair. You cheated, you got caught, and you've been dealing with some of the consequences. You, you may have regret. from an addiction, from gambling, from using, from drinking. You know it. Your family knows it. They bring it up. You may have some regrets in your past from how you handled some relationships, how your anger got out of control, some things that you said, some things that you did. And I'll just throw a rock in here for all the parents. Because if you're a parent, we all have regrets. (laughs) Maybe you've been going to some meetings for the very first time in your life and you've been introducing yourself. Hello, my name is. And I'm an alcoholic. See, Nehemiah, Nehemiah understood that for people to to celebrate, for people to worship God, they got to do something with this bag of regrets. And can I just tell you, it's a burden of mine right now in ministry to see people set free from the past. Because it seems like I'm having more and more conversations with those who are believers that for whatever reason cannot get past some things of of their past. Maybe there was a period of time in your life when your identity was inmate number 984752 and that's who you were then. Maybe for you, it's, it's a regret of a, of a divorce. You've never gotten, you've just never gotten past that. See, if we're not careful in life, 
we will try to carry this bag of regret in our life. And we'll sling it on our back. And we'll try to make it through life. And it weighs us down. And it weighs relationships down. And we bring them into a worship service. And we bring them out of a worship service. Because we never figure out what to do with them. And let me tell you something. If you try to carry regret in your life, it will block your worship. So I thought what we might do for just a few moments is do like a mass confession. Like they did in Nehemiah's day. And so I'm, I'm going to go through a list of, of things. And if you identify with any of those things, don't raise your hand in the middle of this. <laughs> Let's just wait to the end. And then I'm going to give you an opportunity that if you identify with this, we're just, we're just going to raise your, our, our hands. So if you've, if you've ever posted anything on social media that you regret, if you've ever said anything to a parent or a child that you regret, if you've ever, listen, if you've ever lost your cool with like a two-year-old, if you've ever hurt someone by maybe, maybe words that you used or an action or maybe you judged someone, maybe you gossiped about someone, If you've ever slept through a sermon that you wish you had stayed awake for. <laughs> if you've ever stayed awake for a sermon that you wish you had slept through. <laughs> if, you've, if you've ever failed in life, academically, relationally, spiritually, emotionally, athletically, financially, if you have identified with any of those things, would you just raise your hand and say, I identify with that? Doesn't it feel kind of good just to confess these things? And for those of you that didn't raise your hands and you say, you know what, I haven't failed, but my neighbor looks like they've gone south a time or two, we'll just, we'll just load it up for them. See, there's something, listen, there's something about, there's something about regrets. There's something about this issue of forgiveness and confession. There's something about, because listen, I'm, I am meeting more and more people. Rocks are heavy, and rocks will weigh you down, and we were never designed to carry this. Never. And I am meeting more and more people that I would say, you just, you need to be set free from that. You need to be set free from the past. So I just want to give you a couple of things that if you truly want to celebrate, if you truly want to worship, there's a couple of things that you, you need to understand because I'm telling you, this issue of the past, this issue of regrets can block your worship if you and I are not careful. The first one is this. If you're going to celebrate, you have to have a right view of God. You have to have a right view of God. You have to understand who God is. And you have to understand what he's done for you. 
I mean, see, this is what Ezra, the priest, and Nehemiah helped them to understand. And it was powerful in their life. Because remember this, for 70 years, they have not been in church. For 70 years, they have not honored God. And all of a sudden, they're coming into a worship service. And what do they do with those regrets? What do they do with those, those, those actions? Because when they came back to God, they needed to be reminded of who God is. They needed to understand this issue and power of confession See, in, in our culture, in our time, we see confession and, and repentance kind of as a negative thing, as a, as a negative word. It's not a negative thing. Fact is, repentance is a very positive thing. Repentance simply means this. I'm coming back to God. I'm returning to God. And so, so all of a sudden, Nehemiah starts leading them through this. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 1. Now, on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and sackcloth with earth on their heads. Listen, this is just a picture that they're broken over their sin. They're broken over their regrets. They're broken over their actions. And they had this attitude, this attitude of repentance. Sackcloth just simply meant this. It was a visual picture of that they're in, they're in anguish. They're, they're in pain. And when you see that phrase, earth on their heads, they would take dirt. They'd literally take dirt and put it on their heads. And it was the picture of just deep sorrow. So they're in anguish and they're in sorrow over their past. And so, so verse 2, And the Israelites separated themselves from all the foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and their iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it they made confession and they worshiped to the Lord their, their God. I mean, Confession came first, but listen, because of, the new because of the new covenant, we don't have to confess our sins to, to a priest. We confess our sins to God and to others. Maybe someone that we've hurt or maybe some that we've wronged, that we look them in the eyes and we say, I'm so sorry, will you forgive me? See, worship is understanding who God is and understand what, what he offers you, what he's done for you. Verse 4, and on the stairs of the Levites stood a bunch of folks. And they cried with a loud voice to the Lord their God. Then in verse 5 it says, Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You are the Lord. You alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worships you. In other words, this, when, when, when we worship him, we are joining in with a worship service that's already happening in, in heaven. And so when you look at this, we, we, we see that this is it's a model. It's a model of confession. It's a model of repentance. And, and there needs to be that model in a believer's life. Not to be saved, but to be in right relationship with God and right relationship with others. And so Ezra, the priest, led them through this process to where they understood who God is, the goodness of God, that, that even, when, even when they were, try, were, were carrying their regrets and their stuff and their junk, and even when they were walking away from him, God pursued them. God still loved them. God still provided for them. And all of a sudden, Ezra is trying to help them to understand who God is because this group of people have been in exile for over 70 years. And they're, they're like making declarations that he's the, he's the everlasting God. You alone. You al Yahweh, you alone are, are, are the Lord. See, there's some people that will tell you in our culture, in our community, it doesn't matter who you worship as long as you're sincere. 
It doesn't matter who you're worshiping. You just, as long as you try to be a good person. But the problem with that, only, only the true God, only Yahweh can take away your regrets, can take away the junk and the stuff of your past. And when you learn to worship him, that he has always existed, he has always been there, and he loves you, and that he is the only one that can take care of this bag of regrets, that he is the one, he is the one that sustains you. When you go through crisis, who's going to sustain you? When you go through difficulty in life, who is the one that sustains you? When you fail or when you struggle, who sustains you? See, when you see and you understand it is God, changes everything about you. When you go through the valley, when you, when you step into the valley unafraid, the only way you and I can stand into the valley unafraid is because you realize he's the one. He's the one that sustains me. He's the one that provides for me. He's the one that loves me. And you know what it does? It begins to remove fear and anxiety from you. See, when you understand who he is, not worshiping him is not an option. When you and I understand who he is, casual worship is no longer even an option. Fact is, you see this group of people in Nehemiah's day, when they came back to him, they worshiped him with passion. They worshiped him with a loud voice because they understood who he was and what he had done for them. Even in their rebellion, he pursued them. Even in their rebellion, he loved them. In fact, as you see some attributes in, in this, these scriptures, that he is the one that saves and encourages and hears and delivers and guides and, and meets and teaches and protects and feeds and forgives and loves and sustains. He clothes, he empowers, he multiplies, he prospers, he corrects, he, he rescues, and he's patient. Verse 7, it says, they go on, you are the Lord, the God who chose Abram, brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans, and gave him the name of Abraham, and found in his heart faithful before you, and made with him the covenant to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Jebusites, and the Gergashites. And you have kept your promise, for you are righteous. In other words, God, everything that you said is true. Verse 9. And you saw the affliction of, your, of, of our fathers in Egypt, and you heard their cry at the Red Sea, and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all of his servants and all the people of his land. For you knew that they had acted arrogantly against our fathers, and you made a name for yourself. And it is to this day. And you divided the sea before them, so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land. And you cast their pursuers into the depths, as a stone into mighty waters, by a pillar of cloud you led them in the day, by a pillar of fire in the night, to light for them the way in which they should go. There's some people say, you know what, I'd, I'd like that pillar of fire. I'd like that pillar of cl cloud to guide me. Do you realize as New Testament believers we have that in the power and the ministry of the Holy Spirit? Verse 13, he says, you came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them rights and rules and true laws and good statutes and commandments. And you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them commandments and statutes and, and a law by Moses, your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water for them out of, out of the rock for their thirst. And you told them to go and to possess the land that you have sworn to them. 
In other words, God, through all of their rebellion, through all of their difficulty, you provided for them, and you still continue to bless them. God, you provided for them even though they continue to complain about what you were providing for them. See, to worship, to celebrate. First, you have to have a right view of God. The second thing is this, you have to have a right view of yourself. You have to have a right view of yourself if you're going to celebrate, if you're going to worship him. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 16, it says, But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck, and they did not obey your commandments. In other words, God, even when we rebelled against you, you still loved us. See, that's so hard for us to understand. See, we think God treats us maybe as our sins deserve, but guess what? The Scripture says the opposite. God says, the Scripture says God doesn't treat you as your sins deserve. There's consequences to our actions. We've talked about that. Verse 17, they refused to obey. And we're not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive. Gracious and merciful. Slow to anger. Abounding in steadfast love. And did not forsake them. Then they realize, God, you're ready. You're ready to forgive. Do you realize God, God is the father of prodigals? And God is ready to forgive you. If you're, if you're here this, this, this morning and you say, I don't know him and I don't have a relationship with him by the authority of his word, God is, God is waiting. God is ready to forgive you. And if you're a prodigal and you've wandered away from him like they had, God is ready to receive you back. And even in your rebellion, even when we walk away from him, he loves you. In fact, as the scripture says, that they, they appointed a leader and they were going to go back to their old way of life. Listen, let me tell you something. If you don't, listen, if you don't, if you don't do something with your rocks, if you don't do something with your regret, you may return to an old lifestyle. Verse 18, and when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt, and it committed great blasphemies. You in your, you in your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way in which they should go. In other words, God, even in our rebellion, you did not leave us. You did not forsake us. Verse 20, you gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth. And gave them water for their thirst. And even, even in their rebellion, he continued to provide for them and to meet their needs. Verse 21. Forty years you sustained, them, you sustained them in the wilderness and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. In other words, God continued to protect them. To worship him is to have a right view of God and a right view of ourself. The fact is, the scripture says it is is the kindness of God that brings us to repentance when we realize what he's done for us. Romans says this, Romans chapter 2, verse 4, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn from your sin? All through history, the Israelites were amazed at the constant love and goodness of God. And we are moved at how faithful and true God is to us. We, we, deserve, we deserve justice. 
but we get mercy. See, this is what makes sin so bad, is it crushes the, the heart of God. That God has been so good to us, and we say we don't, we don't care. We can, we can have our own blueprints. We can have our own plan. We can, we can live life our way. And then when it doesn't work out, Scripture says he's ready to forgive. And God not only declares us forgiven, but he declares us righteous. And he not only declares us righteous, but he has accepted us and forgiven us. See, they were, they were loaded down with regret. And it was weighing them down and it was destroying them. And when we understand who God is and what he's done, it moves us to confession. confession. Confession happens when we take personal responsibility of our actions and our sin. And we don't blame anyone. We just say, you know what? It was me. And what did they do when they cried out to God? They confessed their sins. They confessed their actions. And I just tell you, you'll make no spiritual progress until you learn to do this. You'll never truly be set free until you learn to do this. See, if you, if you don't repent and you continue to try to carry this bag of regrets that weighs you down, can I tell you what will happen? Your heart becomes harder and harder and harder because you and I were never designed to carry this stuff. In fact, as the Scripture says, that when we quit carrying this stuff, when we return to Him, there's a celebration that happens in, in heaven. See, that's why I think it's so, it's so good when we celebrate, when there's, a, when there's a baptism like we've done in the other services. Here, here's what the Scripture says in, in Luke 15, 7. He says, in the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed. In other, words, in other words, there's a celebration in heaven, and there should be a celebration on earth as well. Listen, I'm telling you, these, these rocks, and I know they're just rocks, but they represent regrets. And these rocks represent something that you and I do not need to carry anymore because Jesus is willing to carry it for you. He, he died for you. And see, this should be the place to where you and I can just, like, let it go. In other words, you can leave your past behind you. You can bring your failures and you can bring your regrets because, in a sense, he carried, Jesus carried a backpack full of our sins to the cross for us. So we didn't have to carry it any longer. You and I were never designed, we're never designed to carry this. same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is available to you today to set you free and give you freedom. And if you'll trust me that in this service you can dump your regrets. You don't have to carry it any longer. And you can walk out of here free of your regret 
in your pain and be set free and live in freedom. When you understand who God is and what he offers you, and he is a God that is ready and willing to forgive. And so the question for you and for me, are you carrying regret that you need to let go of today?